the closed door isn't necessarily a locked door. Sometimes you just have to push. <laughs> um, wow. And I just decided to push and I click send. And a week later, I got a response and the professor invited me in for an interview. And I ended up, because of that email, working on this Mars mission for four years and then going on to write Think Like a Rocket Scientist. Like, I would not be here right now if that 17-year-old version of me had not clicked send on that email. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome to the Kathy Heller Podcast. This show is meant to be a guide for you. I want to be that mentor who can hold your hand through this journey. I know that there are so many twists and turns in navigating not only what is happening in our mind, but also understanding strategically how we want to get from where we are to where we want to go. In the show, we're going to talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward. But in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are going to talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, you never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on the show, every single episode, I want to be your friend. I want to be your mentor. I want to show you what is it that I think has really been insightful, been helpful? What are the tools and strategies? What are the mindset shifts that have helped me? And what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are? How can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous, beautiful experience? Because after all, that is what we all desire. We're all craving to have the most joyful, beautiful life and I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people. It will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together, each one of us, by being the happiest versions of ourselves and being the most fulfilled versions of ourselves, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hi guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller podcast. I hope that you had a beautiful weekend. If you were celebrating holidays, I hope that you enjoyed that. We're still on spring break, so you might hear a little background noise because my kids are um, playing piano with my mom downstairs. Uh, today, we have one of my favorite people back on the podcast. His name is Ozan Varal. He is extraordinary. And I'm just so happy to share this conversation with you because it's really so beautiful. Before we dive in, I do want to let you know that I spent several days this past week at the Boca Raton Resort, and I was just feeling so excited because we're going to have our next retreat there at the end of June. And if you'd like to join us, you can go to kathyheller.com slash retreat. And of course, the whole idea here is to to expand and to create, right? And to learn how to change your frequency, to learn how to change your vibration so that you can project something different onto the screen called your reality, your life. And it's amazing how we have so much inside of us and we have so much of a capacity to create the life that we've always truly wanted to see be the life that we have. And um, we're going to do that together during this retreat. So if you'd like to join us, you can go to kathyhow.com slash retreat. 
So today, as I said, Ozan Varal is back on the show. He's a rocket scientist turned award-winning professor. He's also a best-selling author and speaker. He served on the operations team for the 2003 Mars Exploration Rovers Project, which was already just a huge accomplishment. But he then pivoted, and he pivoted again so that he could make a bigger impact and guide others to make their own interplanetary leaps on Earth. We had him on the show in 2020 to talk about his amazing book, Think Like a Rocket Scientist. And he has another amazing book that comes out tomorrow. It's called Awaken Your Genius, Escape Conformity, Ignite Creativity, and Become Extraordinary. It's a simple guide to unlock your originality, unleash your unique talents, discard what no longer serves you, and discover the qualities that make up your genius. There are so many gems packed into this book. I'm sure you would love it. So you can get yourself a copy and get one for a friend. And I highly recommend that you read his first book too, if you haven't already. It's such a joy to talk with Ozan. He is just the epitome of what it means to be a good, honest person. He has such a big heart. You will be so inspired by what he's done and what he's reached at this point in his life. I loved having him the first time and I'm so glad that he's back. So let's get into it. Without further ado, please welcome the wonderful Ozan Varal. Hi, I'm so happy to talk to you. I'm so happy to talk to you. I'm so happy that you reached out. I was like, of course I'll have you back. (laughs) Thank you so much. Coming from you, that means a lot. So the last time you were here, we talked about the previous book you wrote, which is Think Like Mm -hmm. a Rocket Scientist. And it was so good. And I have literally gone live. I I feel like last New Year's, I did a live and I was like, there's a book called Think Like a Rocket Scientist and it's New Year's and I want you to do moonshots and here's what it means. And like, I remember what you say because... Mm. um, it's so beautiful and epic. So you wrote a new book, which is coming out soon, Awaken Your Genius, Escape Conformity, Ignite Creativity, and Become Extraordinary. What made you want to write this book? I spent my whole life trying to escape conformity and find my way back to myself. So it's been this four decade long journey and having come as far as I did, I wanted to look back and write a book to help others. It is in many ways, it was a self-help book. Like I wrote it in part to help myself (laughs) to reconnect with who I really (laughs) am and show my true colors to the world. But yeah, it, it really was a personal journey and it was quite a struggle looking back at my childhood. I grew up in Istanbul and Turkey is this amazing country filled with beautiful people. The education system though is extremely conformist. So you're forced to conform in so many ways. I'll just give you Mm. two examples. When I started elementary school, each student was assigned a number, kind of like in the Stranger Things, the Netflix show, like 11. Yeah. And our principal would call us by that number instead of our first name. Oh my God, heartbreaking. Individuality. Yeah. Like you're not an individual. You're just a number to be branded. And Mm. in fourth grade... So everyone, you know, wore the same uniform and all the boys had this like same short buzz cut. And I thought haircuts were a giant waste of time. So I skipped them all the time, which got the notice of my principal. And during one of the school assemblies, he like spotted my longer than standard hairdo, pulled me up in front of the entire school. He got a hair clip from one of my friends and put it on my hair to like shame me publicly as a retribution for not conforming. Uh, and so like my life began with this enforced conformity of totally losing myself and who I was and then trying to figure out a way to find alignment and return back to myself. And like, I looking back at those days, I like turned into an octopus of sorts. I would obsessively observe what was normal and like what the colors were around me. And I would change my own colors to like 
fit in and to blend into the background. I even changed my own favorite color when people would ask me, what's your favorite color? Instead of telling them the truth, which would have been purple, I would say blue. I would say blue because blue is what normal boys were supposed to like. And I really, really wanted to be normal. So it started there. And then it it just, it's been this lifelong journey. Literally brought tears to my eyes because I can just feel what that kid feels, you know, standing up in front of the whole school. And I know that people have so much that they've experienced, right? And you could say, oh my gosh, but you should hear my trauma. First of all, it's not a contest. That's not what we're talking about, but it's visceral. Like that experience brought me to tears because we all have had that experience on some level. We all know what it feels like to feel shame and to feel like we will you know, pretzel ourselves into whatever shape we need to, to survive. Because if love equals belonging, we'll do anything to belong. And it's so important that you wrote this book for all of us who are still that little kid somewhere in our day. Yeah. And I am amazed, amazed that you could make a quantum leap, literally step into a parallel universe, step into a whole different way of being in the world after being programmed. I mean, we're literally all programmed, right? In this like theta state as kids, but that is so heavy duty. So how, how did you start to create a different program? How did you start to change your subconscious? How did you start to allow yourself to take those risks that allowed you to be in authenticity? How did you do that? That seems monumental. Yeah, for sure. And it it took a really long time. And some of the things that I began to realize is one, living in this way of forced conformity felt suffocating. Like it really, you know, it, and one of my lifelong journeys has also been getting in touch with my body because especially with my science training, like I just operate from, from the mind here and totally disconnected from the body. And feeling into my body and realizing what it feels like to suppress myself, to like literally suppress myself and not show huge parts of my being to the world was suffocating. Uh, And it was having physical effects. And so Mm. just realizing the damage that that was doing to my body was part of the, the journey for sure. And then another part of it was this idea that I talk about in the book of like, no one can compete with you at being you. Mm-hmm. Like you're the first and the last time that you'll ever happen. And if your thinking is an extension of you, if what you're building is a product of your own inner wisdom, your own purple, then you'll be in a league of your own. But if you suppress yourself, if you don't claim that wisdom within, then it will be lost both to you and to the rest of the world. And I think realizing that and like testing out in different contexts, shall we my purple? And the more I show my purple, by the way, the more I attracted people who liked purple. And so getting that positive feedback of like, oh, because I would equate, as you said, conformity, shame, and then I would also go to safety. Like This doesn't feel safe. I have to conform to be able to stay alive. And then being in environments where I actually show my purple and people, some people would gravitate towards that. Yeah. Like It would become a magnet. It would be the reason why would, people would want to talk to me or why people would want to read my books or sign up for my newsletter. And so... The more I did that, the more I learned that, look, showing your purple can be a, a really, really beautiful thing and can attract the, the right type of people into your sphere. I love that so much. Recently, I had my human design read literally 
two weeks ago, I book a call with this woman and she was lovely. And she's like, okay, it's based on the time and day you were born and where you were. I was like, okay, fine. Anyway, one of the most amazing things that she said to me is she said, you're a leader. You came to the world to lead. And she said, and what I can tell you just from what I see is that you have a point of view and leaders do. And you were meant to pave a new path. And if you're going to pave a new path, it means you're going to clear some trees. It means some trees are going to move this way and some trees are going to move this way because you're here to clear a new path. You're here to clear a new way, a new point of view, a new perspective. And I said, well, yes, yes, yes. And she said, the double bind for you is that you're a pleaser, not based on your charts or DNA, based on your program based on the way you grew up. And so you have this part of you that knows you were here to say something and to set it down. And then this part of you that wants to be safe. And she said, but your job as who you were meant to be in this world, part of it will be to be polarizing because having a point of view means some people won't subscribe to it. And I was like, this is the most beautiful, like, forget the human design part. I don't even remember. Like, it's fine. It's beautiful. I'm just saying that part of the conversation, it struck me so deeply. And it's so fun what you just added, which is then you get to play with the people who they do see purple and they do want to talk about it. And you've been denying yourself because you didn't want anyone to exit because you didn't want anyone to unsubscribe. But then where's leadership and where's the gift in finding all the people who love the purple? Exactly. Like you end up reducing the force of your magnet. When you hide your purple in an attempt to please everybody, which by the way, is an unattainable goal. You'll never please everyone. You'll only end up reducing the the force of your magnet. So you're not going to be able to attract people who like purple unless, unless you show it. And I just wanted to add this tidbit and then we can move on to the next topic about showing your purple shortly after my wife's name is also Kathy uh, shortly after Kathy and I first met it must have been like our fourth or fifth date she looked at me and she goes what's your favorite color and I was about to blurt out blue but I swallowed my words and returned to myself and I said you know it's purple I love purple she looked at me and she smiled one of her gorgeous, infectious smiles. Uh, She said, funny, ever since I was a kid, I thought I'd marry a boy whose favorite color is purple. And I knew I finally belonged. And that story sticks with me. And like, if I hadn't said that to her, if I hadn't shown myself and revealed myself to her, that beautiful moment that brought us closer together never would have happened. And I've had so many moments like that. And the more moments I have like that, where like I show my purple and then I attract the right people, the more I'm inclined to do it. Oh, that is such a beautiful story. So another thing I want to ask you, because you put it like right there in the title, after you say in the subtitle, Escape Conformity, you say Ignite Creativity. And there's a million ways you could have gone with this book, but because it's your book and it's your point of view, creativity has a lot to do with this for you. Why is that so? And what does it mean to ignite our creativity? When we think about creating, I think we're programmed in many ways to look externally because the the assumption, much of which comes from the education system, is that answers have already been figured out. And those answers have been figured out by people far smarter than you. 
And your job is to memorize them and then spit them back out on a standardized test somewhere. And in so many ways, schools end up curing us of curiosity, of pursuing <laughs> oh what God. we're actually interested in, right? So that's why I think creativity is a big piece of it. And for me, creativity begins. It doesn't end here, but it begins by tapping into the wisdom within. Because that wisdom within, and by the way, you may not realize it, but everyone listening to this has a huge treasure of wisdom within themselves waiting to be explored. Like everything that makes you you, every mistake you've made, every experience you've had, every book you've read, every life you've lived, every part of your beautifully messy human existence, everything that makes you you is inside of you waiting to be untapped. Mm -hmm. But we're so busy looking externally and so conditioned to think like our parents, to think like our teachers, to think like influencers and thought leaders, to think like anyone but ourselves. So I wanted to bring in this piece about igniting creativity. And for me, creativity begins by listening to yourself and first looking at your own depths for answers before you turn your attention outward. It's so beautiful. And I just sit here. There were so many things you said, but two of those things I just want to highlight is one, you said going through the schooling process, it like cures you of your curiosity. I mean, that is such a mic drop. That is so important to even just start to become aware of. And the other thing you said is that every one of us has within us a treasure of untapped, you know, these like beautiful jewels. And I was going to ask you that. That was my follow-up question. Like, do you think everybody has truly something creative or something unique? Because people will push back and say, there's no way I'm not creative. I don't have a single creative bone in my body. And I think it's because of the first thing you said that it's been beaten out of them to even go there, to even think about that. For you, what was one of the first things in your life that was your own inner wisdom, your own inner guidance system, a creative thought? Maybe it was the thought to write that other book. I don't know. But what's an example of something in your life that came to you? from this part of this whisper of creativity within you that actually paved a new way in your life? The first memory that popped up that I'll, I'll share with you is when I first learned how to read and write. And my grandfather was a teacher and he had this typewriter in his house. There's actually a typewriter back here. I just see that. Sort of like an homage yeah, to that. Uh, sweet. And one of the things I did after I learned how to write was I would just sit and write stories. And I would just sit there and just type, like, write screenplays. And I started a magazine that my parents and grandparents were the only readers. But Uh that was this innate thing that was coming from within me of, like, part of the themes in my life. It's storytelling. I love telling stories. I love telling my own stories. I love telling other people's stories, too. And it all began there before I really got into the meat of the education system, before, again, the schooling system had the opportunity to cure me of my curiosity. I was a, I was a storyteller. And much of my life, it's been like this journey throughout all of these different careers of rocket science first, then becoming a lawyer, then law professor. And then actually where I am right now, I'm doing the thing that I did when I was six years old, mm. which is I'm telling stories. And you know, this new book, Awaken Your Genius, has so many stories in it because we're all storytelling creatures and stories stick far more than tactics or strategies or principles might. So I always begin with a story and that definitely came from within. So I encourage people who are listening to this 
There's this quote I love from Anthony Gaudi, the Catalan architect. He says, originality consists of returning to the origin. To reconnect with your own origin story, to like think back to your childhood before you know you were forced to memorize facts, before people started to telling you what you should like and shouldn't like. What did you actually enjoy? Like yeah. what were the things that brought you alive? Because what made you weird or different as a kid can make you extraordinary as an adult. So mm -hmm. if you can reconnect with those memories, I think the more creative your life will be. That's really, really beautiful. And I lived in Spain in college. I spent a semester there. And so I'm very familiar with Gaudi and his work. And for anybody who doesn't know, or whether you know or you don't, I just want to remind you, it looks like Candyland. You know, he was all about glitter yeah. and color and you walk down the streets of Barcelona and there's like this, what is that? It's just like yeah. um, gumdrops and it's so beautiful. So I love that you mentioned him. He's such a creative genius. Nobody, I don't think ever has mentioned him on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we've been talking about now is a willingness to not fit in. And as you have now said a few different ways, it's scary to do that, to not fit in and to stand out. And I want to borrow a little bit from your first book, and I'd love to give you an opportunity to, to share because there were so many jewels in the first book, just like in the second. But one of the things you talk about in the first book is to redefine the way we look at failing mm -hmm. and to have a reverence for science and scientists because they're approaching it so differently. And I wondered if you could talk about that because we are so wired to fit in, but we're also wired not to fail. And when you put those two things together, as beautiful as this is, it can seem really daunting to someone to get off this podcast and go choose to be original when everything in their nervous system says, that is the worst idea you ever had. Yeah. So, so in talking about your previous book, and even in some of what you talked about in this new book, what are the ways that we can reframe the way we look at failing and the way we look at making a quote unquote mistake as we sort of build and learn how to find our path because it's going to be probably required that we allow for some uh, messiness. So tell us a little bit about your point of view on that. Absolutely. And mistakes are definitely a part of the process. They're an inherent part of the process and mistakes and failure can be the best teachers if you know how to approach them properly. Yeah. And not everything you try is going to work. I mean, I, I'll give you an example from my life. So I was a university professor for nearly 10 years. And shortly after I got tenure, I realized that the academic life was no longer for me. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed teaching for as long as I did. But then there was this part of me that yearned for something different, something that involved speaking to non-academic audiences. And so when that signal came through, I ended up trying a, a number of different things that just didn't work. Like I started this, um, and most people, I've never spoken about this publicly, but I started a, like a productivity coaching business for, for lawyers because I was like, I had a problem with stress and overwhelm when I was a practicing attorney. So I started this coaching business and I hated it. Like I wasn't good at it. It didn't bring me alive. So mm -hmm. I ended up shutting it down. I tried consulting. Uh, for businesses also did not like it. There was a lot of failed fits and starts. And if I look back and then ended up launching this blog and then podcasts with an eye toward writing books for general audiences, if I look back at my the first version of my website now, I cringe. It's 
so bad. It is so bad. And like <laughs> the tagline is horrible. The branding is horrible. I had no idea what I was doing. But looking back on it, I'm so glad that I started before I thought I was ready. And I wasn't ready. And my first creations were not great. And But the thing is, each blog post that I wrote was better than the one that came before. So I would learn, I would try something, it wouldn't work. I would take a look at that and figure out what went wrong. And then I would learn from it and it would get better and better and better and better over time. And I'm sharing that because I think part of the reason why people are so afraid of failure is they look at social media or they look at a, you know, a finished book like this one and they don't see the messy process that went into it. They're seeing the finished curated product and not the iterations that came before that would make any self-respecting writer cringe. So you're comparing your beginning to somebody else's end. And then you're afraid of failing because you think, look, I could never be that. Or if I try that, it's never going to be as perfect as, you know, Kathy's podcast. That mindset then ends up stopping people from even trying, trying anything, unfortunately. I mean, there were so many golden nuggets and this is such a epidemic, this whole fear of failure. I feel like all of us who have podcasts could have a second podcast just about this and it would be worthwhile because as you were talking, I can just feel myself. I can feel the people I know just going, oh, this feels like an IV drip of medicine. Like I need to hear this every day. And you're right. We compare the messiness that is our life to what other people produce. And we forget that there's a whole process there. When I had Harry Connick Jr. on the show, he said, I say to my kids, give yourself something to edit, like just start, just begin. And Seth Godin has said to me a bunch of times that 50% of his blogs, his blog posts are below average. And I'm like, no, that's not true. And he goes, no, that's what average means, Cass, (laughs) legit. Like that's literally what it means. And I'm like, wait, he's right. How did he do that? He's so sly. He's right. We forget that. And you're right. Failures can be some of our greatest teachers. And I think about you trying on those different outfits, those different roles, how valuable, how valuable. And I, the last thing I love that you said, there were so many good ones, but that you started before you were ready and you're so happy you did, because what does it actually mean to be ready? Like, You know this because you're more this than I think anyone I've had on the show. Like you have a mind that is, it has this like genius ability, but there's no real answer in the analytical mind that can keep you from trial and error, right? Like there's still, no matter how brilliant you are, you gain the clarity by the doing. So if you were to sit with someone and they read the book, what would you say the first little step they could take today? to awaken their genius? What might be one little practice or one little thing that they could do? For sure. Yeah. Before I get to that, I want to share one more piece on mistakes and then I'll turn to that question. Oh, good. Because good. I, it's a reminder for me. And it's this, and I think this needs to be acknowledged because most people tend to gloss over this part. Failure can be really painful. Yeah. Mistakes can be painful. And I think there is no doubt about that. Every time I failed in my life, it sucked. But I see failure and I see mistake making as not only just a learning opportunity, but as the price you pay for living a courageous life. There is another type of pain, which is the pain associated with, not with failing, but with failing to try at all. Mm. That 
is a pain that I felt in the past. And I never want to feel that pain again. I never want to look back and said, man, I wish I had done that. I wish I had tried that. I wish I had asked this person out, or I wish I had started this business, or I wish I had written that book, or I wish I had applied for this job. That type of pain for me is unparalleled. And the pain of making a mistake is so much smaller compared to that, to that bigger pain. So whenever I'm afraid of making a leap, I always try to keep that in mind. Yeah, Um, that's really, really powerful. To come back to your question, which is like, what is the first thing you can do to start awakening your genius? I talk about a number of strategies in the book, but this one came through and it's, it's a really important one, which is actually devoting time to thinking. Now, if you're like most people, if you're listening to this show, you're probably moving from one email to the next, one notification to the next, one meeting to the next, constantly looking externally, and you're, you're devoting no time to look within. And if you ask most people, where do your best ideas come? Most people will say it's in the shower, right? That my best ideas come to you in the shower. Why? It's because it's one of the, if you think about it, it's one of the few moments of your day where you're actually alone by yourself, no distractions, no notifications, nothing coming at you. And you're letting your mind wander. Like you're daydreaming. This thing that a lot of people were chastised for growing up, like Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to daydream. Daydreaming is essential to creativity. Uh, when you think it seems like nothing is happening, when you let your mind wander, it seems like a waste of time, but it's not a waste of time at all. Research shows that your subconscious is hard at work. It's making associations. It's marrying the old and the new to create new ideas. And so imagine what types of ideas you might be able to generate if you replicate those shower-like conditions throughout the day. Just like sit and stare at a ceiling for a few minutes or go for a walk with no audiobook, you know, no podcast, not even Kathy's podcast <laughs> to keep you company. Just spend some time with you and your thoughts. And it's incredible the types of ideas that then begin to come through because you've now created space in your mind. You've turned down the volume of external voices, which then allows room for that those internal bits of information that are cluttered, that are suppressed, in so many different ways by external information, you're creating room for those to actually burst through. Just try it and the results will surprise you in many ways. I love that so much. You explained that so well. I remember hearing Steve Jobs say that he used to take these two walks every day that was like mandatory for him, like leave his iPhone and everything at the desk and then just take these walks because it was in those moments. And I love how you just said like, that is such productive time. Your your subconscious is hard at work. You're making associations and you're so right. I, I tend to say that very often to my team. I was in the shower and I had this thought and I, I hadn't really connected the dots the way you just did, but that really does feel right. And I think we could all use a break, you know, from being busy. We take on busyness, like it's such a badge of honor and it's really robbing us of our time to ruminate and to allow And again, because I I think everybody should do themselves a favor and buy both of your books if they don't have the prior one, because it's so good. One of the things that you talked about, as I said earlier, were these ideas of moonshots. And I'll just never forget how you said how JFK stood there and said, we're going to put a man on the moon. And people were literally looking at him saying, what what is he talking about? Like, (laughs) we, we don't even have the technology to do that. How does he say that we're going to do that? And then we did and, and how leadership 
you know, is, is this vision. It's like Walt Disney just sold a vision, you know, to all those investors, he sold air, but it was through conviction and imagination and it's our imagination. It's our creativity. I often say to people when they say, can you coach me? Can you help me, you know, make money? And I say, every dollar ever made came on the other side of a creative thought, how to solve a problem, how to tell a story, right? It's, you've got billions of dollars in every thought between your ears, if you would just let yourself dream. So I was wondering if you could just share the idea of moonshots and how we can put ourselves in the best conditions to elicit the most beautiful moonshots and visions. Yeah. And I love the way you describe moonshots. I think that JFK speech, which you know a lot of people know about, where he gets up and promises to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade, and it's 1962 when he makes a speech, and this is seven years later, and he's promising you know, what a lot of people thought was the impossible because so much of what would be required just wasn't done yet. Like he said, some of the metals required to build the rockets haven't even been invented. And so it's this incredibly audacious moonshot. So really dreaming big and aiming high. But, and I think this is also an important point, you marry that idealism with pragmatism. So yes, you have a moonshot, you have a big goal, but then you combine that with a concrete plan for making that a reality. And in my previous book, I call this backcasting. So you begin with, instead of forecasting, which is like looking at your present reality and asking yourself, well, you know, what can, what can I do given what I have? You set the status quo aside, you set your current reality aside, and you begin with this imagined reality in the future. Five years from now, 10 years from now, you begin with Neil Armstrong on the lunar surface, Mm -hmm. and then you work backward from that to figure out exactly what you would need to do to make that audacious goal a reality. And, you know, the reason I'm speaking to you right now is very much a result of moonshot thinking and backcasting. As I mentioned, I grew up in Turkey and we lived in a small apartment and we didn't have reliable access to electricity. So power would go out all the time and it would terrify me as a, as a small boy. So to distract me, my dad came up with this game. We'd light a bunch of candles. He'd grab my soccer ball and he would rotate the soccer ball around one of the candles to show me how the earth rotated around the sun. And those were my first astronomy lessons. And I was hooked and my moonshot in middle school became becoming an astronaut one day. So that was like my incredibly audacious goal. And so many of my friends and even teachers said, like, please, right? You can't do that. You're this kid born into humble circumstances in a developing country, like maybe another life. But I wasn't willing to postpone my dreams for another life. So I remember going into the middle school library and I wasn't calling it backcasting at the time, but that's exactly what I was doing. I researched the background of every single astronaut who had ever worked at NASA and like try to sort of figure out like, what do they do? What do they do exactly to get to where they were? And that sort of became my plan for life. Like I learned English as a second language. I researched how to get into colleges in the United States. I like taught myself how to figure out the SATs and then ended up getting into college in the U S and immigrating here when I was 17 and just showing up with, you know, two suitcases and, and nothing else to my name. And by the way, here's, I think, one of the interesting things about the story is I didn't actually get my moonshot. I didn't become an astronaut. You might look at that as a failure, but it's not a failure because I got to work on one of the most successful interplanetary missions of all time, the Mars Exploration Rovers mission. If I hadn't set my sights high, 
if I hadn't set this audacious moonshot, and if I hadn't combined that with this concrete plan for getting there, I never would have done the things that brought me to where I am today. So yeah, I guess it goes back to our discussion on failure too. Technically I failed, but and I'm so grateful. That oh my gosh. Right it's so beautiful. And even though we put these on YouTube, nobody watches them. They just listen, but nobody can see that I'm crying is my point. But I was crying because that story about your dad, I mean, it just levels me, you know, that here's this little boy and the electricity keeps going out. And so he's like, let's play a game. Yeah. And then from this game, this whole dream is revealed. I mean, it's just, I want that to be a movie. I want to make a movie of your life. And I just want to like, see the whole thing. And it's so beautiful. And it's interesting that you even told that story as part of your answer, because I was going to say to you, I just recently saw this study on fleas and it wasn't that different. The first part is not that different than other studies I've seen, whereby they put these fleas in the jar and the fleas try to jump out. But if they put a cap on the jar, then the fleas jump as high as the cap. And if they take the cap off, the cap can now stay off and the fleas won't jump higher than that. They just won't jump out. Well, that's not that different than other stories I've heard about elephants and things like that. However, the part that was different was the second part I learned, which is that when those fleas have babies, they won't jump. Hmm. And I was like, oh my God. Like, wow. That is different. That is the second yeah. part of the story that I hadn't learned about the elephants. Okay. I just got chills. Wow. Right. So I was going to ask you about that, right? Because there is a way in which we have seen a reality and we all have different realities, period, based on the perception, right? It's the observer effect. We look at something and the electron is different depending on who's looking at it. So we all live in these, like, we think we live in the same world. We all live in very different worlds. But when the world that you live in is that your parents and the people around you don't jump, oftentimes you don't jump. And so it was so beautiful that your dad played that game with you because it taught you to jump and it taught you that you can jump. And I love him for that. I want to like kiss his forehead. I'm just like, I love that. I love that so much. But what do we do? And what do we say to people when you are unconscious that you are right now living in a reality where whether you're aware of it or not, you're not jumping, right? right? And so you don't let yourself have a moonshot, right. right? Because who are you to have a moonshot? That would just be the dumbest thing in the world because you're never going to get out of here, right? So that's, I think, for a lot of people, that's really a limitation. So what do you think about that? Yeah. God, I, I had not heard about that study. Like I said, I got chills when I heard you describe it, that that's passed on in so many different ways. Right. Um, there's a chapter in Awaken Your Genius, short section called, you're in a jail cell of your own making. Mm -hmm. um, that's relevant to the question you just asked. And I want to acknowledge that, you know, life comes with real limitations. So setting those aside and talking about the limitations of the self-imposed kind, where like, you're blocking your own wisdom. You're standing in your own sunshine. You are closing doors before the universe even has an opportunity to open them. And in many ways, we sort of like complain about the state that we're in or that we're, we're not living the life that we want or we don't have the career that we want. 
And in many cases, the self-imposed limitations are getting in the way. And one of the questions I talk about in the book and, and I ask myself frequently is like, how am I complicit in creating the conditions that hold me back? What are the current boundaries of my jail cell? Like, what are the, the bars that I've erected for myself? Where am I not going far enough? Or where am I not aiming high enough? And constantly just being aware that we do have all of these self-imposed limitations. And unless you're intentional about identifying them, and unless you're intentional about crossing them, unless you're you know, beginning before you think you're ready or asking for a promotion that you don't think you deserve or negotiating a higher salary that you don't think you'll get, unless you're doing those things and actually pushing yourself outside of your jail cell, you will often forget that you're even in a jail cell. Like mm. you're just pacing the sort of the same enclosed space over and over again, not aware that you created the jail and the door is open and you can open the door and leave. I mean, I literally just felt my brain expanding as you were talking. And I love when that happens. And I'm so grateful to have a podcast and get to talk to such beautiful, brilliant, kind, humble people, because not every time, but a lot of times like that, I literally can feel it move. I can feel because that is so empowering. That is so life-giving to start to think about brick by brick. Every thought is like a prison if it's limiting you. And it is amazing how often I'm talking to someone and they are arguing for their limitations and I'm arguing for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm there defending them and they're prosecuting <laughs> themselves, right? That can never happen, this, this, this. And it's like, you're just unaware that that is true. You know, I mentioned this before, like a big shot. I, I know very little, I know enough to be dangerous, but you know, over the last many, many years, I've been looking at the mind and quantum physics and consciousness. And I spent three years studying at UCLA and looking at the brain and looking at mindfulness and how does that affect us? And, you know, and, and can we get a hold of our own attention and what can happen if you actually have the present moment? And it's just amazing. Like the data is just incredible what is here. And I was just curious because you, you know, I don't want to assume, but you probably know a lot more about physics than I do. And it seems as though there really is no limit if you're looking at this field of consciousness. Like, it's just amazing. Like, yes, I can't go be Michael Jordan. I don't play basketball. Okay, so there is a limit. That's probably not going to happen no matter what. Okay, so I get that level. But this feeling of wanting to have some quantum leap in your life, wanting to feel so much more energy pulsing through you, I really do think we have access to that. I really do feel, right? Yeah, and how it winds up looking And I think this is one of the things that you just sort of said is like, for you, energy, like your alignment actually came more through writing books and having a podcast Mm -hmm. than working further on the Mars Rover and whatever was going to come next. So, so you were led to that because you were chasing, you weren't chasing the actual physical 3d, how it looked, but it was, how does it feel? How can I make a beeline for more energy? Right? So can you talk a little bit about that? Because talk about limitation. I was just only in the last like five years, like really studying this observer effect. And I was like, it really is insane that like the way you look at it is what changes the electron. How is that possible? What does that even mean? And what that does is it it just opens up the question. It allows you to question that what your reality is, does it have to be so? Or is there a level at which your perception of it can completely mm-hmm. change it. So being that you know more about physics, I was just curious what you know about that or what you think about all of that. 
Yeah, God, I love that. And there's so much in there that we can dig into. Thank you for sharing that, Kathy. So a couple of things come to mind and I'm going to say them in no particular order. Okay. Number one, I love what you said about talking to this person and like that person is arguing for their limitations. And as the saying goes, like if you argue for your limitations, you you get to keep them. Wow. Whereas if you can reframe them and if you can realize that you've actually set the limitations for yourself, And here's the bit is like, where did the limitations come from? Where did that voice inside your head that says you're not good enough or you're not creative enough or you're not an artist or you're not an entrepreneur and you can't do this or you can't do that. Where did they come from? And I remember this moment. So I was 17 years old and I'm sitting in my room in Istanbul and I had just gotten into Cornell to study astrophysics. I'm sitting in front of my computer and like one of the first things that I did is research what the astronomy department was up to. And I saw that one of the professors at Cornell was in charge of this. He's the science lead, the principal investigator for this Mars mission. And there was not no job posting, but I wrote him an email just out of the blue, expressing my burning desire Mm -hmm. to work for him. Like that's what I've been daydreaming about for years and years in Turkey was to be like, oh my God, to work on a Mars mission, that would be incredible. I wrote this email to him. I attached my resume And just when I thought about hitting send on the email, this chorus of voices filled my head of what could you possibly contribute? Like you're a skinny kid with a funny name from a country halfway around the world. What business do you have trying to work Mm -hmm. on this mission? There is no job posting. Why would you apply for a job that doesn't even exist? You're going to make a fool out of yourself. And I remember closing my eyes And just sort of like listening to those voices and asking myself, where are they coming from? And none of those voices belonged to me. They were all statements, questions that I picked up from the culture that I was living in, from what other people had told me, from what I picked up from the education system. None of them were authentically me. And I sat with that for a moment. And the voice that came up authentically was like, do it. Just click send. Because a closed door isn't necessarily a locked door. Sometimes you just have to push. Um, (laughs) And I just decided to push and I click send. And a week later, I got a response and the professor invited me in for an interview. And I ended up, because of that email, working on this Mars mission for four years and then going on to write Think Like a Rocket Scientist. Like, I would not be here right now if that 17-year-old version of me had not clicked send on that email. That one email changed my life. And whenever I feel myself again, and those voices, by the way, are still there. They're a lot less loud than they used to be. And I could control them and I could listen to them and say, thank you for your concern. But I got this. Like, I I know what I'm doing. (laughs) But whenever I feel unsure, I go back to that moment. And if you're listening to this, we all have moments like this in our lives where like you weren't unsure of something. You were uncertain if you were capable, but you did the thing anyway. And then amazing things resulted. And if you could anchor back in that moment, like remember that moment, remember what happened. And then the next time that imposter syndrome kicks in or you hear those voices telling you that you're not this or that, just think back to that moment and click send. I mean, that's an incredible story. And it's such an amazing example of opting out of whatever limit or reality because people always say that it's funny the words we use we're like well the reality is and it's like not really i mean look at what reality actually was reality actually was the guy responded 
you got a job that didn't exist, worked on something for four years. That's one of the most significant projects in science history and then wrote a book about it. Yeah. That's reality. So I think that's such an amazing answer to the question of like, what do you think about how the observer and your perspective changes what is? But it's incredible awareness that at 17, you did go ahead and ask yourself, where are these voices coming from? And had the courage to say, I appreciate that this part of me wants to protect me, but I'm still going to click send. And I don't know that that piece, that responsive, I only recently over the last few years realized that responsibility is how we respond, being responsible to respond. And most of the time we're not responding, we're reacting, which means there's no thought. There's no distance between the impulse and what you just did or said or thought about it. And that's why I think I love the study of presence and mindfulness and slowing down and meditation because it, and like you said, taking those times out during the day, because what you just talked about was a capacity to respond. So when you talk about becoming extraordinary as part of this title, what does that mean to you? What does it look like? What would be your wish for the person reading the book Mm. that they wind up saying this feels extraordinary? What is an extraordinary life? look like for you that you're wishing for your reader? Yeah. I think to become extraordinary to me means to become more like yourself. And that's why I very intentionally picked the word genius too in the title. Genius, if you look at the introduction, I make that you know clear very quickly early on in the book to dispel the notion that genius actually means most talented or most, most intelligent. It doesn't mean that. I opened the book with a quote from Thelonious Monk. He says, a genius is the one most like himself. Genius, if you look at the Latin origin of the phrase, it refers to actually the spirit attendant at birth in each and every single person. Each of us is like Aladdin and our genie, our genius is like bottled up inside of us waiting to be awakened. So that's why I I call the genius and genius requires you to become more like yourself. And extraordinary is, is essentially a way of saying the same thing in a different way of, of showing your purple. Like if you think of each of us as individual puzzle pieces, each piece is important. Each piece has its own unique shape and color. If you suppress your shape and color, if you try to conform to the other puzzle pieces, like the puzzle wouldn't work, right? Like the world can't work with a billion corner pieces with the same shape and color, which is what we end up doing. We just copy and conform and copy and paste. But if you can embody your shape, your own shape and color, if you can become more like yourself, you, by definition, become extraordinary. That is just so beautiful. I've never heard about the spirit attendant, you know, there at your birth and the genies, like the genius that's waiting to be awakened and it's bottled up. And it's just such an important message. And for now, for such an important time, you know, I feel like Whenever we have things like this happen, where there's whatever you want to call it, there's like a little bit of a recession or there's a downturn. We just went through a once in a generation pandemic. We tend to panic, right? I mean, we love any excuse to panic human beings, right? And there is real, there's real concern. I get that. And these are the moments when we need people to be authentic the most, because it's in moments like this, that sort of lay the groundwork for new systems. You know, it's like, Nobody at this point says, oh, we want to go back to the way it was pre-pandemic in terms of like, a lot of people are now not going into the office five days a week. And a lot of people have 
moved out of the cities. And a lot of people are spending more quality time doing stuff they love because at a certain point, nobody knew how much time any of their relatives had or, right? And so what I'm saying is like, this is such a beautiful time for you to write this book because we need the individuality and the creativity of people. And there's almost a willingness of the collective to listen in a new way. There's been such a shakeup and such a pattern interrupt that for those people who will read your book and those people who will heed this call, there's so much opportunity more than there has been in a long, long time. Absolutely. And I think for the reasons you just described, Kathy, the world requires all of us to be creative and to get in touch with our own inner wisdom. And that unfortunately, that creativity, like we talked about in so many ways, there's a story I tell in the book of uh, Gordon McKenzie, who was an artist at Hallmark for a long time. He would walk into a classroom and he would ask, how many artists are there in the room? And in like, I think in kindergarten, everybody would raise their hands, you know, and in second grade, only a third of the class would raise their hands. And by the time you got to the fifth grade, only one or two people would admit to being an artist. Uh, And it's such a sad story because you can sort of see the, the effect that the schooling system has on people and the effect that culture has on people as well. But if you can get in touch with that inner artist within you who would like leap from their seats to raise their hand when Gordon would ask them, like, is anyone in this room an artist or how many artists are there in the room? Part of me dies inside when someone calls themselves a content creator. I'm like, content creator, <laughs> God, like no one wants to get up in the morning and read content because content is fungible. Content creators are replaceable, but artists cannot be replaced. Mm-hmm. And I think the words that we use to refer to ourselves and what we do in the world matter. And if you don't call yourself an artist, if you don't think of yourself as a creative person, then you'll act in ways, going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, your inner thoughts shaping reality, you'll act in ways that reinforce that narrative. And the world right now requires all of us to be artists. And artists, art doesn't just mean like what's something that poorly compensated artists do instead of a studio and they're like overalls, like... Art can be anything, anything creative. The way you live your life is art. The way that you raise your children is art. The way that you design a new strategy at work is art. The way you walk, the way you talk, it can all be art if you're being intentional and if you're reimagining the way that things are working. Mm, So good. This is such a beautiful conversation and I knew it would be. I was so excited to talk to you. So tell everybody where they can pre-order the book and where they can find your podcast and all of those beautiful things. Sure. If you want to get the book, you can head over to geniusbook.net. We've got a bunch of amazing bonuses that go along with the book that you can get by ordering it from that link. And then if you want to keep in touch with me, the best way to do that is through my email list. I'm not active on social media, but I have an email that goes out to over 45,000 people every Thursday. It shares one big idea that you can read in three minutes or less. And you can sign up for that by texting my first name, which is O-Z-A-N to 55444 or heading over to my website, which is ozanvarol.com. That's O-Z-A-N-V as in Victor, A-R-O-L.com. Oh my gosh. You make it so simple to just be a part of your world. I love that so much. 
We will put all of that in the show notes so that you can, if you're listening, you can just scroll down and you can click so that make it super easy for you to text him or join the newsletter. I love that idea that you said one really easy to read big idea. That's such a good idea. So smart. So good. And I love the bonuses. Can you tell us one bonus people can get for pre-ordering the book? Sure. It's a mini course that's based on the book, Awaken Your Genius. And in less than 30 minutes, you'll get 10 life-changing insights from the book right away that you can watch over lunch and then start to implement in your life to make giant leaps. I love the way you make everything bite-sized because we have such little attention span these days and you just make such beautiful music. You're just Mm -hmm. such a good instrument for so much. And I feel like I want you to know when you get off this podcast and when you go to sleep at night and you go hang out with your wife, that every time you talk, you are planting seeds that really are blooming. And there's probably so, so many flowers and things in this field that are now happening because somebody was moved by your insight and your words and your courage and encouragement. So I just want to say thank you for that because I got so much out of it. And I just hope that you really, really get that. It's really, it's love and it's really powerful. Thank you so much. I really needed to hear that today. And coming from you, that means a lot. And I hope you know what a beautiful soul and what an incredible conversation partner you are. There's really no one like you where I feel so safe and so comfortable in sharing these stories, some of which are very difficult to talk about. And you make it so safe and so easy. You lean in with curiosity. There's no judgment. I'm just so grateful to have spent this hour with you. That means so much to me. And I love so much just being here for you that I don't even think about that, but it's so kind and so sweet. And it's such a pleasure. And I'm so glad I started a podcast so I could get to talk to someone as smart and cool as you. So uh, we will put this out so we can like keep championing you and and we'll put links to everything. And people should go back and buy that other book too, because it's so good and they should go together and you should buy it for a friend. And I would just say, why not buy both of these books and say to a best friend or somebody you work with, hey, why don't we read these two books and then talk about them? Because the amount of ideas that you're going to have, I think that you should start a little book club around these books. That's just my suggestion. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. It was just so great to talk to him. He's one of a kind. Here are the takeaways. Number one, no one can compete with you at being you. You are the first and last time that you've ever happened. Number two, own your purple because it's really a beautiful thing. When you show your purple, you can attract the right type of people into your sphere. Number three, each of you has a huge treasure of wisdom within yourself waiting to be explored. Every mistake you've made, every experience you've had, every part of your beautifully messy human existence, everything that makes you you is inside of you waiting to be tapped. Number four, originality consists of returning to the origin. Reconnect with your own origin story. Think back to your childhood and the things that brought you alive. What made you weird or different as a kid can make you extraordinary as an adult. Number five, daydreaming is essential to creativity. Let your mind wander. It's not a waste of time. Your subconscious is hard at work, making associations, marrying the old and the new to create new ideas. Spend some time with you and your thoughts. It's incredible the types of ideas that begin to come through. Number six, push yourself outside of the jail cell that you've created. You can open the door and leave. Number seven, click that send button. It could change your life. And number eight, to become extraordinary, to be a genius means to become more of yourself. We each have a spirit attendant at birth in us waiting to be awakened. 
Thank you so much for listening. I'm just so grateful that you choose to spend your time here. It's just so much fun, this community that we've been creating together. We have so many great guests coming on the podcast, so many good episodes coming up. So please follow along on Apple Podcasts and subscribe or on Spotify, wherever you're listening. And if you're a fan of the show, then leave us a review. It helps a ton. And if there's somebody who you think would appreciate it, please take a second and text them the link. A lot of people don't listen to podcasts yet, or sometimes people have heard like one or two podcasts, but maybe they don't realize what they're missing out on. And obviously it's free to listen to podcasts. So if you think of someone who would benefit from listening to this podcast, please text them the link or email it to them and share the love. That is how we've grown to 40 million downloads is just by word of mouth. And it's extraordinary. Um, just the letters we get and how many people say that this show is inspiring them in ways that they just feel so so moved by. And of course, that means the world to me. So please pass it along if you feel like it's really something that supports you. And finally, if you want to join me for three days in June, you can go to kathyhow.com slash retreat and grab a spot for our retreat. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>